as we talked about uh, the relationship principles that Jesus speaks about in Scripture. As we began this series, I said to you this, I said that many of us, um, <laughs> well, should I say this, all of us have relational issues, okay? Let's just admit it. But Jesus said, as we began this series, Jesus said to us this, he says, there's nothing more important than healthy relationships, Nothing. Because when someone asked him, what is the most important commandment of all? What was his response? To love God and to love people. Relationships. But then he defined that a little bit further by saying to us that how we're to love people and how we're to love God is that we must love each other as he loved us. He said that is the measure of the way that we love, that we, that we build the relationships we talked about the whole thing that Jesus talks about, about out of the overflow of the mouth, the heart speaks, talking about that our communication, the words that we speak, are very important. And then we talked last week about this whole thing of how we relate to people in regards to judging others, that we often think that it means that when it says do not judge, that we're not to uh, confirm and, 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 and to go through this whole process of of actually confronting people, but Jesus says that we're not to judge them, and what we talked about what that meant. Now, today I want to talk about as we as we finish up uh, this series this week and next week, we're going to talk about two of the most important principles that Jesus talked about, and they kind of go together, and they'll kind of like complete each other over the next couple of weeks, this week and next week, and then we're going to sp- uh, spend a couple of weeks following that, talking about how to invest and invite in people's lives to how to build healthy relationships with people in the community that then you know Jesus Christ. And then I'm excited about starting Easter, we're going to start a six-week series going through Romans 8. Uh, Romans 8, probably one of the most in, um, important passages in all of Scripture. All Scripture is inspired, but there are certain passages of Scripture that we see that, we become, that become famous, that become Scriptures that we know, and it'll be amazing how many of the passages out of Romans chapter 8 that uh, you'll be aware of uh, and, and have heard before. So we'll be talking about that. That kind of gives you a flow of what's happening over the next uh, few weeks. Jesus had something to say uh, today, though, about uh, this thing we're going to talk about uh, that we need to be serving. He talked about it in several different locations. He talked about it in in Mark chapter 9, uh, verse 35, where he talked about serving. He also talks about it in Mark chapter 10, verse 43. And he says this, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Now, when he says that, it's in the context of a very interesting passage because what it is, is Jesus is talking, he's meeting with his disciples, um, He's meeting with his disciples, and what he's doing is he is uh, he's, is he's saying to them, he's telling them that he's going to uh, predicting his death. He's he's on a trip. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and as he's on his way to Jerusalem, his 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 followers, his twelve closest friends, his disciples, are following along, and they're concerned. And so Jesus tells them about what's going to happen, and then he makes this statement uh, in verse forty three: Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Now you would think that they would get their mindset in the right place. But immediately following this, uh, the disciples prove how human they are. Because immediately after that, James and John, two of the disciples, begin to have this, uh, this discussion with Jesus, which ensues and has a discussion with the disciples about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Well, God, when you, uh, Jesus, when you die, uh, who's going to be sitting at the right hand of this and make sure that I have the right seat? They had this whole thing. It was about ego. Was it about self? It was about this whole thing. And Jesus had just said to them, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And they totally didn't get it. 
Now, I've said many times that communication is one of the most difficult, probably when people come to my office for counseling, marital counseling, premarital counseling, whatever, that one of the issues I deal with probably more than anything else is communication. But the root cause of most of the problems in our relationships, I have to tell you, is not a communication. The root cause is selfishness. Selfishness and, and wanting to do things and have things done my way. And so I believe that is why Jesus tells us and talks about this whole principle of being a servant to others, about being humble. Today what we're going to do, we're going to start with a, a couple of pa- this, this passage out of what Jesus has to say, a couple of passages here uh, about Jesus' teaching. And then I'm going to look at another New Testament passage where Paul teaches us about the same principle And then I'm going to come back at the end and talk to you about the greatest illustration I believe there is in Scripture of what servanthood means. And, of course, it's Jesus' serving others. Now, this whole series, the purpose of this series has been this, that we would learn how to have healthy relationships with other people. And I will tell you this, if you do not get this one right, you will have unhealthy relationships. It's a given. If you are selfish in your relationships, if you're selfish and focused on yourself, and you don't learn to have humility and serve others, you will have unhealthy relationships. We all know this. Jesus, like I said, said it, said it in Mark 9.35. He says it in Mark 10.43. And then in Mark, uh, Matthew 23.11 through 12, which is on your outline, it says this. Jesus says this, The greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is in the middle of a discussion Jesus is having uh, with disciples and other people about, uh, about the whole thing of living the Christian life. And he says this once again, and it's, and it's written uh, there, and Jesus says this over and over and over. And this same principle is taught in the New Testament many, many times. And as I was thinking about how to teach about this principle today and what Jesus had to say about it, I was reminded of a passage that Paul, later on, after Jesus had gone, had, had died, had been resurrected, after that, then Paul says this in Galatians 5. And if you have your Bibles this morning, you might want to turn to Galatians 5 and look this morning uh, with us at three, three verses of Scripture, four verses of Scripture that are there that really speak to us about this whole thing of serving one another and why this is such an important principle in regard to dealing with healthy relationships. You have to understand a little bit about this passage because as Paul was writing this passage in Galatians 5, he was writing to a bunch of people who had grown up in an environment where they had believed that they, to please God, to have a great relationship with God, what they had to do is they had to have a bunch of rules and had to follow the rules. All the do's and the don'ts. They had to jump through certain hoops to have a relationship with God. It was called the law. And they understood that. And then Jesus had come along and he had said, he said, I have come. Uh, he came not so that they could simply uh, 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 keep following the law, even though law was important for a period of time in their life. But now Jesus said, I've come so you can have a relationship with God through me. And they didn't really know how to live that out. And so Paul begins the process in Galatians 5, in the midst of that conversation, beginning with verse 13, he says this to them, You, my brothers, were called to be free. You, my brothers, were called to be free. You know, when you hear that, it's the first inclination when you've not been free and when you've been bound by all these laws is, Yee-hee! I've been called to be free. You know, when you, when you, it's not the kind of freedom, though, um, you know, so, so often... 
Uh, we think that we have to be nice because, our, because we have to follow the rules, and we follow the rules when you're a kid. You know, but when you become a teenager, you start not wanting to follow the rules, and all of a sudden you become a college freshman. And you think that you're free. And you go and you do a lot of stupid things, right? None of you did those things right. Because, you know, all of a sudden you have this freedom. You don't have the parents there that, that kind of oversee you. You, don't have, you have this kind of freedom in your life. And we don't always deal with freedom in a good way. But Paul begins to say, okay, guys, you've been following the law. This is how you had the relationship with God. This is kind of how you might, your mindset was in regard to the whole thing of relationships, about following certain rules. But now you are free. You're free to choose how you relate to someone else. And then he says this, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. And the sinful nature is what? The sinful nature is saying, it's all about me. It's all about me. And when we use our freedom to indulge our sinful nature, he's saying it's, it's it, you know, like you're away from home and all of a sudden you exercise your freedom in the wrong way. But what Paul is saying, he's saying this, now that you are free from the law, you have the opportunity uh, to freely choose some things that before you were commanded to do these things, and because of this, there's a new opportunity with your new freedom, uh, and it allows you to, to, to build relationships in a whole new way. It's kind of like this. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, there are certain things in a household that have to be done, correct? Like taking out the trash. None of you do that. Okay. I don't want to live at your house. Okay. But the thing is, or, or, or emptying the dishwasher. You have things like that. Now, it's one thing, it's one thing for me to... You know, say it in our household, nobody really has the responsibility of taking out the trash or emptying the dishwasher. It miraculously gets done. And, you know, when, when I, you know, would do those things, uh, you know, of my own freedom and just to see the need and do it, you know, I don't have a big deal. But the deal is sometimes if my wife, if Vicki says to me, honey, would you mind cleaning out the dishwasher? All of a sudden, I have this kind of like different attitude. Because it's not simply something I do freely now, but it's something that's an expectation. Because when I clean out the dishwasher and nobody has asked me to do it, it's not my responsibility, it's not my night, we kind of like share the load, it's not my night and I do it just because, I don't do it quietly. You know, I pull out the dishes and put them in the shelf so everybody will know that I'm cleaning out the dishwasher. Woohoo! Because I have freely chosen to serve. You understand what I'm saying here? Sometimes when people, when we have this obligation, when people tell us to do stuff, we kind of like cringe in that. But, but Paul is saying now you have this freedom to, to choose. You have this freedom to choose how you respond to other people. And this freedom sets a whole new thing. It's not just simply because you're following the rules. But you freely choose to serve someone else. And so he says, use your freedom, don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, and this word rather here in the Greek is a really incredibly strong word. It's this huge contrast. It's not this rather. It's huge. It's saying rather, don't indulge your sinful nature, but rather serve one another in love. 
You see, God, he's saying, Paul is saying, God is not measuring your relationship by your performance anymore. You can have an impact relationally because now you have the choice because Jesus has come to pay the penalty for your sin. Now you have the choice relationally with God and relationally with others. It kind of goes that way as well. You have the way of moving forward toward people and choosing to serve them or maybe not choosing to serve them. Let me give you a definition of service. Service to serve means this. When you see a need, you meet it. And when something needs to be done, you do it. Now, isn't that a really difficult definition? When you see a need, you meet it. And when something needs to be done, you do it. No rules attached. No uh, uh, list of things you have to do. You just choose to serve. And so what Paul's talking to us here, he's saying, look for opportunities to serve. Now that you have this freedom in your relationship with God and this freedom in your relationship with other people, choose to serve. When you do it, you're taking a step towards towards, uh, breaking the grip, grip of selfishness in your life, the thing that will hold you back from having healthy relationships more than anything else. And then in verse 14, he goes along after he says this. He says, the entire law can be summed up in a single command. He's talking about all the laws. Remember back in the Old Testament, any of you ever read through the whole Bible? Genesis was fun. Exodus was good. Then you got to Leviticus. Remember Leviticus? You're going like, I don't even want to be a Christian if that's what it means. Literally, I mean, all this is law after law after law after law after law after law. Just laws and laws and laws and laws and laws and laws. It's the most boring thing in the world to read. Let me just be honest with you. Leviticus. I mean, you trudge through Leviticus because it's all about the laws. Not many of us go to Leviticus. You know, I want to memorize Leviticus. (laughs) Now we want to memorize things that are a little more practical for us. But, when we, but he's saying that, you know, in spite of all those laws in Leviticus, he says, basically, when you think about all those laws, he says in verse 14, the entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, next week, we're going to talk about this a little more when we talk about the golden rule. We're going to conclude this series with one of the most known and important teachings of Jesus, the golden rule. But he's saying to us this, all that stuff that you tried for years and years to do to please God is summed up in one command, and you say, well, but first you've got to change my heart, God. No, and he said, no, first serve. Well, you've got to change them. God. No, but first serve. He said, that's how you deal with changing your heart. When you see a need, meet it. When something needs to be done, do it. Serve. And then he says this in verse 15. He says, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, I don't think this was taking place in the life of church. I don't think this was literal, though, okay? Okay, body to devour each other. I think it's figurative. He says, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. He's saying this. You still have the choice in this freedom to be selfish. You still have the choice to bite and devour one another. To be, <laughs> You know what the relationship looks like when you have two people who are selfish? It's like a dog fight. <laughs> and you don't want to get in the middle of a dog fight, do you? Especially if it's two you know, really powerful dogs. You know, they, you just move out of the way and let them go on. But that's what it looks like. He said, you have the choice here. If you want to keep on biting and devouring each other, fine. But watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. You can allow the selfish part of you to rule, he's saying, but it will ruin your relationships. And I'm not telling you anything today that you don't know, right? I'm just reminding you of something that Jesus says is one of the most important 
relational principles in all of Scripture. Because he says this, and this is the principle that comes out of it. If you continue to serve only yourself, if you continue to serve only yourself, eventually you will be all by yourself. Remember the song by uh, Eric Carmen in 1975? It's called All By Myself. Remember that song? If you don't remember that song, it's because you weren't around in 1975. It was redone later. All by myself. Remember that? You know, and he's, don't want to be all by myself. That was what the song was all about. It must have been written about this principle. Because the whole thing about all by myself was, you know, it's like, I don't want to be all by myself. But let me tell you, if you continue to follow your plan of living for you and being selfish in your relationships, Jesus is saying here, or Paul is saying here in this place, and Jesus says the same things, eventually you will be all by yourself. It's the next slide. Uh, that's the next principle. There you go. Okay. If you continue to serve only yourself, eventually you will be all by yourself. Now, you don't even have to move out of the house for this to happen. I know people will tell me, you know, I live in a household full of people, and we do all do our own thing. We're kind of territorial. You know, we live in the same household, but we're territorial. I've got to do my thing. She does her thing. Our kids do their thing. We don't have really kind of any service mentality. You can do that. And you can choose to do that. You can say yes to that selfishness over and over again, and it will devour you eventually in your relationships. In your attempt to get things your way and be selfish, what it'll do, it'll destroy the relationships, and you will ultimately have, you'll be all by yourself. And he says simply, if you want to break out of that, the key to that is just to decide to do something. It's called serve. Choose that when you see a need, you meet it. And when something needs to be done, you do it. And then in verse 16, he says this. So I say, he says, based on all these things, so I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. What he's saying to us here is this, is when you become a follower of Christ, God gives you the power, if you choose to use the power, to be able to not be selfish anymore. To live by the, sin, by the, by the Spirit means that you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature, which means that you will move away from selfishness and towards service. Maturity in a Christian life can be measured many times about the attitude we have. Are we self-centered or are we humble? We have one of the two. And living by the Spirit, and we're going to talk about this in, in Romans 8, means to move toward, toward being a servant. Because, and this is the next principle, when we decide to serve, we break the control of self-centeredness. When we decide to serve, how you decide, how you break the control of self-centeredness is you do the opposite of being self-centered. You do this, you serve. You see, self, service does damage to self-centeredness and you can get control of, of selfishness by serving. Now, saying all of that, <laughs> the big question many people have is not, okay, I understand that, sure, but the big question is this. <sighs> How far do I have to go with this whole principle? Isn't that a, that a big question? Because all of us have our story. 
Our story about, you know, somebody who's simply that we really don't want to serve, and we want to have a pass from serving. You know, because they are just not worthy of our service, right? Don't raise your hand. But that's our attitude sometimes, you know. And so all of us say, you know, I understand that in principle, this whole thing, you know, that if I want to not be selfish, I need to serve. But some people don't deserve to be served. And so how do I deal with that? You know, I want my past. And, and when I thought about that, I thought about the greatest, well, I think one of the greatest passages in all of Scripture is over in John chapter 13. And it's when Jesus is sitting down with his disciples for the final meal. And as he sits down with his disciples for the final meal, he knew some things that was happening even before he sat down with them. He knew that Judas had already betrayed him. He knew that Peter was going to deny him. And he knew that all the rest of his closest friends, his followers, his disciples, were going to run away and turn tail and run. That's what they're going to do really soon, right after this meal. That's the setting for the meal. In John 13, it says this, verses 2 through 5. It says, The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. He'd already done that. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God, that Jesus said he knew all things. He knew at this point all the things that were going on around him. God had placed him, put all things under his power. He could do anything he wanted to do. Now let me set this up for you in a, in a real-day scenario. You're sitting down to a meal with your closest friends. I use friends in parentheses here. Okay. And as you sit down with your friends, one of them you know is is about to set you up to be arrested. Just think about how that would feel. And then another one of your friends who could probably get you off because they know something that they could could testify for you, you know they're going to deny you. And the rest of these friends, these so-called friends, are going to take off and they're going to be nowhere around when you need them. And in this scenario, God miraculously has given you all the power over everything. You can control everything. Now, based on that, what would you do? (laughs) Think about that for a minute in that scenario. What would you do? That's exactly where Jesus was. Jesus' next move is recorded in verses 4 and 5. It says, So after knowing all those things, so he got up from the mill, he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. In the moment that he could do anything he wanted to do, he had all power over everything, he served. Not usually what you and I would do if we had the same scenario. And then in verse 12 through 15 of this John chapter 13, he interprets this this event to his disciples when he says this. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put his clothes on and returned to his place. And then he asked this question, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. Now think about what Judas must have been thinking at this point. 
who had already betrayed Jesus Christ. Now, Peter hadn't denied him yet, and he was still in denial that he was going to deny him, I'm sure. And all the other disciples were thinking, oh, you know, we're going to stand up for Jesus. It didn't happen. But Judas had already, denied, had already betrayed Jesus Christ. He said, um, th- think about, do you understand what I've done for you? Verse 13, it says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. I mean, you, you, you call me, you use the words and say, yeah, you love me. And you call me Lord, but is that the way your actions show? And then in verse 14, it says, now that I am your Lord and teacher, and I have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. As Jesus was gathered with the betrayers and the deniers and the people who were cowards, he chose to serve them. And a few hours later, Jesus hung on a cross and he died for their denial and for their betrayal and their cowardice. And then he says this to us. He said, I want you to go and do the same thing. I want you to go into the world and when you meet those who will deny you and betray you and because of their fear will not not support you, I want you to leverage the freedom that I have given you to choose to serve them. I want you to do that. To recognize their need and meet it, not because they deserve it, but because that's what I did for you. And folks, I understand this principle in here because it says, it says this to me. It says, when I have the opportunity, if I will, really want to have the kind of relationships with other people that God wants me to have, one of the principles is this, is I serve them. Not because they deserve it, not because I have this sad story that I want to pass. I, I, I just do it. When you see a need, you meet it. And when you see something that needs to be done, you do it. You know, what is it in your home that nobody that is nobody's responsibility but needs to get done? And when you walk by, you're saying th- stuff to yourself like, oh, I wish somebody would do that. You know, what is it? At that point, you choose whether to be selfish or to serve. And here is something that somebody here is dying for me to say, so I'm going to say it, okay? How about those of you that have people in your life who have consistently served you and you just take it and you take it and you take it and you take it and you never return the service to them? You simply or serve, but never serve anybody else. Now, you might be nice to these persons, but you don't serve. You say, you would say that, you know, this is some people that I really love, but, you know, you don't exemplify service to them as well. Let me, let me tell you what's about to happen if that's the case. There are some people here today, and they may be about an hour away or a week away or a month away, from walking into your bedroom or into your office and saying to you, I've had it, I have served, and I have served, and I have served, and you have taken, you have taken, you have taken, and you don't serve me back. Now, they don't want to say that, but they can't get you to wake up and realize that self-centeredness, that's what it's all about with you. Because in our home, there aren't rules that say you have to do this or you have to do that because we have freedom. But you have allowed your freedom in a real sense to allow you to be self-absorbed. 
And you would say that you would love these, you would say to these, you love these persons, but you have not loved them through your service, and so they only feel your lack of support. So Jesus says, if you want to turn over a new leaf, start a new thing, build a healthy relationship, serve them. And when you do, you fulfill God's law that was given for your own good. Jesus, this was said, said about Jesus. Jesus said this in Mark ten forty five: For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus looks at us and he says this to us. This is what I've done. I just don't talk about it, I do it. Jesus practiced what he preached. He says, I came not to be served, but to serve. Not because someone deserves it, but because that is the way to help people get on the right track. And he says, you go and do the same thing. Every day we have a simple test to take. Maybe every moment of every day we have a simple test to take. Will I be selfish or will I be humble and serve? And how we pass that test has a lot to do with how healthy our relationships are. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.